Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. What's going on? Oh my goodness, aren't we lazy? It's been like, has it been a month? Yeah. No one even, we didn't get any complaints, but... No. <laughs> but some questions came in, so that was a good sign. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, like, oh. I, I was traveling. I, I was gone for two weeks. I like that our audience might think we're depressed if we don't get questions and... You know, <laughs> yeah. quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where were you? Where, where, where were you? Traveling? I uh, went to the Netherlands first uh, to see my family, and then I went to the DLD conference in Munich, in oh, Germany. Yes. Yeah. The, the, uh, you're one of your favorite conferences. We yeah. talked about that last podcast. That was fun. How, was and, it fun? Yeah. And then I mm-hmm. went to Essen, and I'm doing a museum show next year. So uh, we did some uh, talks. Uh, I, I I did a talk for the museum staff so they could kind of, because, mm-hmm. you know, in a museum, everybody's working on different stuff and they might not know me. So the the curator thought it was a good idea to introduce my work to the rest. And then uh, that was exciting to meet everybody and see the space again. And we talked about what kind of show it could be and we're awesome. still working on it. But it it's this really, um, it, I always feel with, with the art that you meet people around the world who especially with institutions or people who are not making uh with galleries it's very clear like okay let's sell as much crap for as much money as possible but with museums there's this dedication like oh i'll have some stability but i won't make a lot of money but you just dedicate yourself to this uh concentrated capsule of culture and i don't know it's it's, it it feels like you you're part of a religion around the world whether you're Mm -hmm. in japan or in germany there's like these monasteries, this this feeling, and I like that. I mean, I've been critical of institutions, but um, I, there are things that are great. Like I'm, and I'm working towards an institutional show right now too. And it's like, I've been, it's like a, it's two or three years in the making. And there's very few things where you get that much time to prepare something. Yeah, it's like an antidote to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like a slow cooking movement. Actually, there's a here's a question. You know, Essen doesn't Essen mean like food? Is the food good in in Essen, Germany? Um, I mostly had Italian food there. We just had... Imagine yeah, it was a fine. city in America was just called food. I think it would be very popular. Yeah. Welcome to food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have the most Michelin star restaurants. Yeah. Or just like we, we have the... We cover everything in cheese. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. You're so disparaging. <laughs> um, so, it, yeah, it has been a while. And yeah. I, we, How have I, you I, been? It, Good, but I think I I think it's worth noting that like in case our like I, I I never like to take for granted that like everyone is in their own kind of bubble, but in the in the kind of the tech and finance world, uh, we're in a wee bit of a crisis. <laughs> uh, a crisis, crisis, right? Uh, a little, just a little cliff. Just a, uh, is it? Just but a but uh, I don't know. Like everyone I know who's worked in tech. It's such a growing sector that there are ups and downs, but if you're a developer, you always have work. I don't know. It's mm. why is that? Yeah, true? the develop no the developers. Yes, it's true. Yeah, developers are in high. There's a, there's not a, there's a labor shortage, but also developers are under the stress of getting offshored. That's been like it's it's actually relative to this week's question actually, but like. There's always this looming threat of like, if you push too hard, we'll put we'll send all the jobs to I, Eastern maybe, Europe. Maybe what I'm trying to say is like, yeah. the people in tech have such enormous salaries and such so many perks that 
if there's a bit of a downturn, it's probably still way better than being a nurse. You know, that's a tough job. And so, mm. do, I don't want to underplay how hard it is to be a developer, though. Like it can it can be a real slog. Sometimes. Okay. It depends on the type of company you work for. I don't know. It's it, it's it's just people I've spoken to who maybe did worked in digital marketing and and they're like, yeah, throughout the years there were ups and downs, but it was never. Oh my god! You don't want to be a marketer in a recession. That's the worst possible I, okay. job to have here's, because, like, here's immediately my people stop Here's my spending. feeling. Like, yeah. I look back at all the recessions. Every time there was a recession, some crazy mm. project was thrown my way. Like it was mm. uh, always the opposite. So, I, it's true. I started my career in a recession. Yeah. Actually, and so the, the more the twice. more and more what yeah. I'm what I'm the funny thing about recessions is, as soon as the rumor starts, everybody starts acting that way, and that's when the recession happens because everybody's like. Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And they then do say there's more innovation inside of a recession. Yeah, generally. but mm-hmm. I just, I, I think maybe, maybe I'm just in a, in a good zone now with my work and whatever, but I yeah. just feel the older I get, the more I feel like just stay the course. Like you have your own mission. And when you yeah. watch the news, and like I visited my parents, all they do is watch the news. Like they talk about the news and like, America is bad. Putin is bad. Everything's bad. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And you know what I did with my parents? I, I like put them on like fire tea on like Amazon oh, TV yeah. or whatever. And then they were like, where's the news? I was like, there's no news. Yeah. But, but <laughs> so my, my point is, watching news. if you start believing that the recession is coming and then you lose yeah. your motivation to do anything, then it hits you harder. Instead, if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. And, uh, you know. Yeah, so actually, historically, if you go back all the way in 1945, um, you can go back further, but it's not the same economic systems. But post-war, the average recession is just 10 months I saw long. your tweet. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, but I'm always asked in, like, my corporate life, they're always like, you need it. You have to survive an indefinite amount of time and at least twenty four months with nothing. <laughs> and you're always like, "Oh, why but do you make it seem so horrible?" I mean, we've we've talked about this before, but that yeah. as an artist, you're prepared for. Oh, I might not have income for two years. Yeah, you're so. already. You're always in a recession. Yeah. I think that's actually probably the good point, which is like, <laughs> maybe that's yeah, but that's my point. It's not like oh, I'm so privileged, blah blah blah. Wherever I go, people throw money at me, blah. blah. It, that's yeah. not the case. It's like. Very pared down lifestyle and lots of savings because everything's unpredictable. It's just weird because like I, I grew up in a, a small business family. So like my mom and dad, they own their own business. And it's not like it was like some um, kind of woe is, woe is me business. They were in a graphic design agency. However, re- I remember recessions like really hitting the family hard. Okay. Like, um on a few occasions just like causing a a lot of stress because and mostly in business anyway it's because of interest rates and debt and banks like being like you know what you're not worth the risk right now to our business right like well that's that's, yeah i I understand all this but it's what's funny is i started with a certain lifestyle and when you're 20 it doesn't seem Mm -hmm. weird it's like oh yeah you don't have anything you travel you sleep on your friend's couch it's fine and as I get older, it, it becomes eccentric to not, like, normal people, when they have a business, you have to grow, you have to hire people, you have to get a loan, you have to get a mortgage, you have to get a house, you have to get a car, all these assumptions. And so maybe that's why I don't believe in recessions. Like, I'm always in, in the, the mindset of, like, you, I could lose everything tomorrow, it's fine, That that's mm-hmm. part of the plan, or yeah. Well, I'm just very excited because uh, Kristen um, has a job offer. She oh, yeah, yeah. It yet. You guys went to Calgary. 
we went to Calgary, but like it's more the I, the dual income no kids thing that I'm about to get really excited <laughs> about. <laughs> You're about to spend it. Like if you were going to set out to optimize, everyone's like, you have to have, you have to have kids, you have to have kids. It, like, except in art school, they're like, you can't have kids. It's not going to happen. And I'm glad they gave me that advice. Now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also sorry, better for the know. environment. Yeah, it is. But we we do sound terrible in that way. Like, uh, I'm not like I'm not against your kids, listeners. I'm just saying I have a lot more choice and flexibility with yeah. our kids. We just and like I'm, restaurants. Uh, that's the thing. I think I'm just now hitting the age though where like it's too late kind of for me to consider kids or it's not too late, but it would be like, but I'm all, all my friends have had kids or they're growing in their, yeah. you know, they're, they're 11, 12 years old. Or yeah. Whatever. I heard this joke from a comedian of older people having kids and it's like, Oh, that's the one kid at the playground who wears a sweater in July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, I could be like a grandpa father, I guess at some point, but we're not, we're, we're not, we're thinking of fostering at some point. That's what I mean. But, um, when you say fostering, does that mean adopting or temporarily yeah, like, adopting? Or tape or take temporary adoption just to help someone through a yeah. difficult time. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm saying that. But what I'm, about I've our podcast? About How's it really going to impact our podcast? I mean, that's the thing we got to, we got to talk about. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in, let's get back on topic here because we did, we did get a bunch of questions. And we did get one uh, from a local Torontonian. Yeah. Alex Fisher. Should we listen to the po- the question? It's yeah, funny because he it. sent a long email and then he sent this like summary form question. But let's listen yeah. to the question and then we'll get into it. Hello, Jeremy and Raphael. I'm Alex Fisher, an artist working with software who lives just a few blocks away from Jeremy, though we crossed paths only some years ago. I want to take this moment to say thank you, as I really appreciate the podcast. I always look forward to hearing more. To get to it, for an episode topic, I'd be interested in hearing you two speak about a term, resistance. Resistance. Or persistence. When it comes to art and people. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Alex. Yeah, it's yeah, great to the, get questions. So, uh, totally, yeah. yeah. Alex has a great podcasting voice. The other thing is he sent an email, and to, just to frame up the question, for some reason in, in the audio version, he doesn't talk about uh, artificial intelligence and automation, but that was on, what that's what was on his mind Skynet. when he asked that question. Yes, yeah, Skynet. Do we need to resist the robots? Yeah. Um, and so this is a question I think I talk about personally a lot, just because it's... it's like every time I give an artist talk, it's literally on this topic. Well, it it feels like a lot of the emails and a lot of the questions we get are about extrapolation. Mm-hmm. So, like going looking back or looking well, forward. Well, I remember uh, people were so afraid of automation, and now there's a worker shortage everywhere. So, yeah, I don't know. This is extrapolation Hist- thing. Historically, though, sense. you're correct. Like so. Labor is always concerned about automation. It's going to, you know, the computers are going to replace our jobs. The knitting machine is going to replace our jobs. They'll replace our jobs. And then, like, successive generations have proven the exact opposite occurs, which is like. Well, yeah, I I was just in the Netherlands and the travel was crazy because there's a shortage of workers. They're not paying them enough. Of course, that's the real problem. They call it a shortage of workers, but they're just cheap. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have enough security personnel and baggage handlers. And, and 
you know how Schiphol was always reliable and that's part of the whole thing about the Netherlands is like it's a little bit boring but everything works and now shit doesn't work anymore so flights are delayed people are, can't go on vacation they get um, they're too late for their flight they can anyway it's chaos now the whole and it's going to be the whole summer because of a shortage of workers so it's it's this weird uh, and the same with ai oh it's going to eat all the jobs and then before you know it it's like oh ai created too many jobs and we don't have enough people yeah i mean the classic example is like kind of in the 1800s, right? The Luddites uh, yeah. were English workers who worked in the cotton and woolen mills. And, you know, at that time, actually the first modern computer was invented, which was like, you know, kind of the tap, those like um, the weaving machines. Right? Yeah. And so these people destroyed the machines, which I always find actually quite interesting because it's a natural response uh to take control over technology by breaking it. And there's a lot of early video art where the natural instinct when people got their hands on yeah. video technology was to break the technology. I well, the same with the invention of the video camera, but filmmakers thought like, oh, I'm out of a job because now everyone can make video. Right, right, right. Or like everyone can take a photo. Yeah, painters are um, out of a job. So painters are out of a job, but yeah. then photography becomes this like vast new media experimentation same thing with video and then the internet it's funny like the first internet artists a lot of them tried to break the technology either through glitch or um and same thing with video games like i think of cory archangel or our friends jody like new video games okay i'm just gonna like break the video game that's gonna be my new form yeah um and so i guess also it's worth distinguishing between automatic image making and automatic automatic labor and then i guess i don't know if we should confuse the two like is making images human labor or is it like is it something else you know because does there's this argument like does an image ever really belong to anyone um once it's created right it's kind of like part of like this cultural uh you know, zeitgeist. Yeah, it, it, when you go on this trajectory of like, what is an image? Too who does it belong too philosophical. to? Well, you, you get to the point where it's like, what is an individual? Aren't we one collective? Uh, what is space time? What are you? You're now like pantomiming Jeremy Bailey's. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it it's, it's like a time. it's like when a three year old que- uh, starts questioning everything. But why? But why? Yeah, but yeah, why? Yeah, but yeah. why? So. Well, no, wait, let's ground it in for a second, like in art theory, though, because there was modernism, which was like, we can know all things, we can know everything. That was the position, right? And science, we can deduce truth, right? And then postmodernists come along, they're like, truth, that's so subjective, it's impossible to know the truth. And of course, we can't know everything. And we can't, and, and like, and also, every image has been created, or any image that will get, you know, has been created or hasn't, you know, it doesn't irrelevant, like it's irrelevant. You can't make new images. You have, the only thing you can do is remix uh, ideas and images, right? So we've been, what are we like 40 years into postmodernism? The idea that there are no new images or no new ideas. And um, there's only recombinations of ideas. But what was the the core of the question? Because the email was about AI, but the audio question was more about resistance, resistance. or persistence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think within that, like yeah. you have your you have your luddites, you know, you have your you know various manifestos over and over again that like reclaim authority. Well, there's there's a also the just the the generational refresh. So every generation mm-hmm. people die. You mean? Yeah, and and so the natural response of young artists they 
don't have access to uh, authority or canon. And then they say, all these old people have it wrong. We have new ideas. They're better. Yeah. That's usually the resistance. Like, oh, there's the previous generation. But now it seems like... Oh, yeah, get out of my way, old man. I, I can do this. Yeah, but now yeah. it's not the old man that's in the way, but it's the new technology mm-hmm. that seems th- uh, scary. But I think that's always been the case, yeah. to, to our point, like back to the 1800s. And so like we should frame up like some of the recent developments that you know probably Alex is also thinking about, which include artificial intelligence that's doing um you know some some kind of um like more creative artistic gestures like the w- dolly specifically yeah. i think is the but latest. the way the way i feel lately is just mm-hmm. I, I did some workshops and i would ask the students anyone raise your hand if you feel good about the future and like no one raised their hand and i just feel like either we are in shitty times and i'm delusional Mm-hmm. Or we're in this weird cult of negativity where everyone's trained to see problems all the time. That's like like the efflux sort of cult. Like, oh, let's look at this new thing. I keep thinking about there's Ethereum right now. It uses too much energy. They're mm-hmm. going to move to proof of stake or proof of work, or whatever. They're going to fix that problem. And I keep thinking, like what's the next thing people are going to be upset about? Because they're going to mm. complain about something else. And it's all, it's just all the time there's this cult of problems. Yeah, well, let's talk about it in an optimistic way then. Well, so, no, no, but it, I, I don't want to fix it. I want to analyze, like, why is everyone so obsessed with crises? Like, hmm. uh, the MoMA has this salon where they... Like, why does worry, why is that our first position? Well, well, it's like a generational thing where people are so focused on fear, it seems. But how would you know it wasn't in previous generations? Like, to my yeah. point earlier, like, I think... It might all. It might just be something that's in, in our nature, you know, to be anxious about the future. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Not knowing. It just. Literal it just seems. It seems to me just hearing people talk in the art world and sort of the, let's say the hipster art world or something, where it's just everything's doom and gloom, everything's terrible all the time. Like yeah, and so I just I cha- don't feel. I, I shared um. I, I shared another tweet a little while ago of like the Kubler. Do you know that the Kubler Ross change curve? No, like the five stages of grief. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like, but they use this in corporate context. Anytime there's like a big change event, people go through the same kind of um, stages. They go through the shock of yeah, yeah, what's yeah, just, yeah. and then denial and frustration, and always depression. We used to call it the trough of despair at, when I worked at FreshBooks. I'd be like. I'd, I'd advise people like, okay, like watch out because everyone's going to go through the trough of despair and depression. And it's totally predictable. Yeah. And then there's, ex- but then coming out of that, there's experimentation, dis- decision and integration. Like there's these, this path of optimism. Yeah. And, I, but I was comparing it recently to like, um, the, the, uh, Gart- like the hype cycle, you know, Gartner's hype cycle. Yeah. Because that is like kind of, it's kind of the opposite, but, um, like because it's designed for you know to to talk about like when a new technology comes along versus all this excitement but you could compare that to like the shock but it's it's the opposite it's the optimist view of it and the you know they're like excitement peak of infl- and then there's like these inflated expectations like that first peak of yeah. inflated expectations at the top of that cycle and then it descends into the trough of disillusionment which is just like the depression of a Kubler Ross cycle yeah. and then this slow slope of enlightenment and, comes out and, and then there's a, there's the personality type that's like impatient and i can't wait for this new technology to be adopted and i want more people to use it and then there's yeah. people who are like 
what is this YouTube? It's the death of cinema. What is TikTok? It's the death of YouTube. Uh, da, da, da. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's like I've I've talked about it on the podcast so many times. Like we look at history through the future through a rearview mirror, right? That's the Marshall McLuhan quote. Yeah, where we're like unable to really embrace change as the like opportunity. And and to be honest, though, some people like get too excited about it. But here's the thing about mm-hmm. and so. This question, resistance or persistence, as I get older, I just keep thinking, it's weirder and weirder. Because people will, not to give myself a compliment, but they're like, oh, you were so early with internet art, (laughs) you're a pioneer. I'm like, no, I wasn't. Everyone was doing shit online because it was cheap, it was free, you could do stuff, and it was exciting. I wasn't a pioneer at all. Everyone... You just didn't stop doing it. Yeah, but fashion designers did it, architects did it, musicians did it, everyone made experiments online. And then people were like, I can't make any money with this, I need a mortgage. (laughs) So they stopped doing it, and I just kept doing it. But this idea that you have to somehow be some kind of warrior to make art, like, it's oh, it's such a struggle... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I've always said it's like, actually, you just do one thing over and over again. That doesn't have to be a difficult thing. I don't... It, and eventually people will recognize for you. You're like the yellow socks guy. Eventually. No, but... Like, it, you, it, you wore yellow socks every day for... It, uh, it's not just that. It's just like, it's very common for people to play tennis recreationally. And somehow with art, it's like, oh, it's embarrassing to make art when you're an adult and people stop. Well, I think one thing that you're like discounting though is to make art, you have to stand out as some do something that other people are not doing. No, you can with, do it as a hobby. You could just no, enjoy no, no. It. What I mean is like to be recognized pers- with pers- if you're persistent. But that's the problem. And be, this and to the, be recognized. The, the word recognize. That's what I'm getting at. It's like mm. if you are if you seeking acceptance, then you lose. Like if you are desperate for so approval, like, yeah. Because that's but, where all the fear comes from. And so when yeah. people are like scared of AI, scared of this, scared of that, it's like, and that's, I keep bringing it up, this sort of coming from punk music. And it's like, oh, it's actually great if no one likes your music. The, the less people like it, the better. Yeah. In, in like corporate branding, they refer to like the, cha- it's actually really interesting because like I've worked at several companies where I tried to set the company up as a challenger brand. And Elon Musk does this too. And we're all like, he's such an asshole. And he's like, actually, a brilliant brand strategist. He like the more upset you are, the more attention you get. You know, it, like it, you're literally yeah, you live in his mind. Free. Yeah, but every brand wants that position because you, then you're part of the quote unquote conversation. I know everyone just cringed listening, but like no, but, but like, it, there's it, a saying it, which whether is, you yeah. agree with him or not, it, it's true that with very little money they get a lot of attention well people Where are allergic company, to advertising yeah. but they're not allergic to conversation as as this co- podcast and if you see them. how much money other brands spend on advertising and they don't that's pretty impressive yeah yeah and so apple d- has done it <clears throat> like harley davidson did it like virgin did it but, like, but all the, yeah like, hurts but apple spends car. a lot on on marketing but everyone that like you, you know, it's like the difference between novelty though and these and challenger brand is the challenger brand will. It's not just trying to stand out. It's it's specifically trying to upset certain people. No, but yeah, but still. No, no, no. Yeah. Like in service of knowing that some people will love it, and those some people that love it will be so excited that there are people that hate it because now they get to be part of a you know kind of a group of. Of people in the know, and this happens in art all the time too. And I don't think any of us really like 
talk about it because it's cringy to talk about art and brand, though I do go there every <laughs> single podcast because you might and you might not like you mentioned punk music. Obviously, punk music, it was an anti-authoritative movement, right? That made sense for young people because they're like, I don't like my parent what my parents do. I want to stand out as different. Well, yeah, so. but it was also a, a movement against virtuosity and technical excellence. So it's like, oh, you don't have to. Well, there be you just classically said it. A trained. movement against. So yeah. you have to be against something to be yeah. for something. And the saying in business is, if you're for everyone, you're for no one. Like that's the yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, but like the it's so so hard i like but, internally when i'm trying to move cultures and like yeah, work yeah, with yeah. teams but like I, everyone wants to be like everything else so but, like there's so and so is doing this and so and so is yeah. doing that the willingness to copy is so high just out of feeling afraid that what if we're wrong about how different we are right but, which is but a natural the, tendency here's the thing like, i think i'm a big fan of jeff coons and i think people misread his work a lot and i think you really have to I think the person is much more interesting than the work. Mm-hmm. And all he talks about is acceptance and removal of anxiety. So He's like, like, I just give the people what they want. Yeah, but he says acceptance in the sense like the world is perfect. He's like, I grew up, my dad was an interior designer, and he had a shop full of this kitschy stuff, and that's where I come from. So my work is honest about that. It's like, I'm going to show that. And be honest about it, not be ashamed of my background of these kitschy things that you say are bad taste. And I'm going to say, this is where I come from. So mm-hmm. he's removing anxiety. And then it, his work grows and it seems so impossible to ever get there. Uh, that's the problem. I think the problem with people are so hung up on results. And so you see an artist who took some steps and is a giant and has all the success and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And I think the whole problem starts with being very result oriented and wanting the, the the award, which is stupid, anyways. And like, maybe that's where the persistence thing. Really yeah, but the persistence in. is like if you enjoy doing it, you've already won. Like, who cares mm-hmm. what other people think? And and so we had a few different questions this week, but I think a lot of them, I was reading them as people dealing with fear. And mm-hmm. so whether it's fear of AI is coming or fear like the art world will never accept me or the fear of like, how will I ever make money? All those things. Um, it could be a natural outcome, though, of being isolated for two and a half years, right? Like people. Yeah, but the, the, the Jeff Koons thing was before COVID. Like, it, I see what you're saying. Yeah. There's a gent like, because we've talked even before the pandemic, art, the artist is general, generally feels isolated, right? Like. Just because well, that, that would generally I have a problem artists. with. Like, I, well, I, don't I say think it's useful. It, well, no, in any city we've talked about on the podcast before, you're not going to have that many artists, and so your social network is going to be artificially limited by your interest, right? Like, if you're in some small town, especially, you might be the only artist in the town. Like, there might be ten fishermen, but there's not going to be ten artists in the small town, right? Yeah. Like, uh, hopefully, this town's not in the I, desert. I but do you know think what I'm that. Uh, I grew up in a small town in the Netherlands, and mm-hmm. it feels like small towns in Europe, there's a higher chance of people working in a cultural field than small towns in North America. I think I think North America is a lot more rural outside of the cities. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty diverse, but you're yeah. it, like, you're not wrong that Europe seem you know like like every it's not any a resource town economy. In, in the Netherlands or Germany that has more than 50,000 people they'll mm-hmm. have an art center like an exhibition place so um that i don't know if that's the same in north america but it seems 
this yeah i grew up in maastricht it's like 120,000 people but there was like a proper big size museum and like maybe three art, non-profit art centers with lectures for free and all these things and there's definitely and and, and like two art schools in a 120,000 person city so mm-hmm. i don't know if that's the same in canada like uh yeah, it's like because of the Canadian government kind of mandates Canadian culture. Yeah, so so your thesis of like in a small town, I think maybe you're talking about a five thousand person town. I mean, just five people show up to the opening. That's the difference. Like, yeah, I mean, in Europe, I think there's more attendance for for art in general. I um, don't know if that's true, but I, I remember Koya Angel had a, had a show at. Nimk at the time the institution and I think there were five people at the opening yeah yeah you just reminded me like the only show I've had where literally zero people showed up <laughs> was in uh, Austria uh, yeah so but I, I remember I, I did a show in Eindhoven in 2003 with Nien and the idea was that all the artists would come and go and we would be there for a month and so we had the space for a month we filled it with bean bags and screens and everybody would come and make work Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's digital, it's flexible. And I was sitting there and there were very few people visiting, but I was super happy just having the space and making work. And I remember there was an art student who came and we talked for a while and he's like, is it this depressing that there's no visitors? And I'm like, no, this is great. I'm making new work. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I, got, I, I have this great computer and these screens that I'm happy, uh, you know. I think there is like a piece we haven't been talked about here, though, which is like... Um so in you know in Alex's question he's like eventually a computer will come up with a better or more interesting idea than I could come up with right and well I the, think that, he's already thinking hierarchically so he's like I know, what is yeah. a more interesting idea that can't be measured so what are you talking yeah, about yeah I think that that's, there's an issue there too in regards to context which is like the way you'll read that idea yeah. is going to be different it's the same um, like someone who can draw photorealistic people see that differently than a photo yeah. Just because an idea exists doesn't mean it has meaning. Um, and I just yeah, I just keep reading fear in all these emails. Just fear, 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 and I don't know how to <laughs> how to help. But it, I I feel like it could just be interest. What I, I mean, like yeah, yeah. But what I what I see when these emails are like, how do I get started as an artist? How do I conquer this? How do I? It mm. seems to me this question is not about AI. It's it's about fear. But the thing is that that like semantically like if someone asks a question it's going to come from a place somewhat of not knowing and and not knowing is like the root of anxiety so you might just be reading all questions well not knowing it could be the root of anxiety or could be the root of excitement and curiosity Mm -hmm. well that was my point earlier which is like you could be on the Kubler-Ross change curve or you can be on Gartner's hypercycle and the thing I didn't mention because I've worked with teams like through these cycles many, many times is like not everyone goes through at the same speed. So like I, for example, love novelty. So it's even when something bad happens, it's like two days and then I'm like, okay, let's go. Like I'm very excited. Um, But some people it takes months for them to recover from a major incident. Um, Now, of course I'm, I'm just talking about like in professional life, there's of course, there's like traumatic life things that do take a long time to process for everyone. And there's no, right or wrong way in fact but i'm just saying like it you know everyone the the rule is everyone does go through these steps even you raf would go through the step it's just that your fear or anxiety yeah. might only last well it, like a here's, day here's an example last a month here's an example of different changes like covid was a huge shock like i, I remember i was in the netherlands and it started in italy 
And we're like, oh, that's just the Italians. It's never going to go to the Netherlands. And then it arrived in the Netherlands. I wasn't even sure I could fly back. My airline went bankrupt. I had to book another ticket. The, the, my wife was upset that I might not be able to come home for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 you know, all the phone lines, it, it, it was chaos at the airports. You couldn't fly. And then I got to the U.S. And it was this weird time where it's like grocery stores didn't have enough food and toilet mm-hmm. paper was running out. You know, that toilet time. Toilet paper shortage. I was worried about toilet paper for yeah. a long time. <laughs> and then slowly you, you, you adjust. And then it was really a very creative period for me because all of a yeah. sudden there were no deadlines. And, I, and I also I went walking around the city a lot. So very quickly I saw the opportunity in that moment. And maybe... What's crazy too is like you go back and listen to yourself we should we should bring a clip oh, yeah. in here i don't know if we would but like we literally i remember us talking through like Ooh, what do you think like we, we were literally just like worrying out loud together yeah and i was worried like oh if all the factories in china are shut down that's really like mm-hmm. the capitalist machine shutting down like atms will stop blah 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 and then a few months later or like maybe a year later all of a sudden nft happens and i never imagined digital art becoming a point of speculation and so much money flowing and blah, blah, blah. And then that happened and it went sky high. And then all of a sudden that market drops and now I sell edition work for a much lower price. So I had to adjust my ego for a second. I was like, oh, I'm going to make this much money for the rest of my life. And then the market said, oh, no, you don't. Mm. And now I've adjusted to the, the lower price stuff in a broader edition, which I think it's wonderful that a group can... Uh, participate and art is more affordable and there was kind so wait, of what are you what are you doing now like so people are like a group of people buy one artwork or it, well work? generative work where you, you make one algorithm that, oh, right. that generates 500 variations for a low price and that way yep. everyone can participate and it, it kind of fits the nature of digital art and, and the internet it's funny that it's going that way because it's the opposite of the way it started but i was just talking uh, to um, someone about like feral file because uh, i might might do something with them and they're like insisting on a low price point which yeah. i thought yeah you know that's very interesting but it, it, yeah what i'm trying to say is it's all a roller coaster but every step mm-hmm. there's opportunity like the, the the beginning of covid was an opportunity because it was so quiet that there was a lot of time for creativity and then there was a hype of high prices for unique works and now mm-hmm. there's like more of a slow movement and but definitely everything was unpredictable i don't know Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and you, but like in that, the question for you is like in that unpredictability, did you, um, you said you had energy from because of the unpredictability or do you think you, because you had no choice, but to, it was refreshing. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's the, um, because like, you know I'm, what they say, like what I'm trying to say is because yeah. I think the core of our audience is young artists trying to learn and to make steps. And, and for me, the core is just, if you do your thing and focus and make lots of work, you always find a place for it. Like, yeah, no, whether, I'm whether, just it's, like, whether it's whether it's rather a- AI it's almost or like whatever. cliche though, right? Like they shouldn't given like the cliche is like scarcity is the mother of invention or like constraints are the root of creativity. These are all like I always like to think they're cliches for a reason, but like but literally the it, you know what fear does to the human brain, like it causes paralysis, like anxiety. You know, and the reason is that most decisions are made emotionally, not logically. So we could talk about this logically all day. And a listener or whomever is 
is not going to be able to actually act until they're emotionally sound. And this is like why these like well, this is, curves matter. And and this is why I've I've spoken to a lot of friends throughout the years that ask for advice and there's always a lot of resistance. It's like that Gordon Ramsay show where he goes to a restaurant and it's not working and he tries to help mm. them and they're like, no, 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 but I've always done it this way. Yeah. And so whenever there are questions about uh, but I think resistance improve... is a form of creativity. It can be, like we yeah, talked about. Like but we're talking about resistance to larger structures, change. but there's also mm-hmm. resistance of the individual who a teacher might say, hey, you should flip it upside down, you should use black and white instead of color, or yeah, you should exactly. whatever. And then everybody's like, no, but I've always done it this way, and this is my way. Yeah. And sometimes that's good to resist. And so that, that, that's a really tough question. Like, when do you... St- stick to what you do because it's great and when do you listen and adapt yeah i mean that's maybe you know one of the yeah one of the root uh points about the of of the of the question and of the good point like ultimately you know when do you stay or go like you know cheryl sandberg like left facebook uh this is a weird segue but (laughs) left facebook (laughs) this week or announced their departure and everyone was saying it was too late like because you know, she should have left five years ago. She would be like president by now or something like that because she was so important in American culture. She was know, more loved of, then, yeah. Yeah, like originally with that Lean In book, so there's a lot of criticism for it as like a white feminist book. There's also like, it did start the conversation, you know, um, in corporate culture that eventually led to all kinds of, um, you know, of, of positive change. So I think she's... She's a figure that, and she started at Google, right? Like she did a lot for tech, but um, then she had a death in her family. And then that's attributed to her like slowing down and not taking as many risks. And is that wrong? I don't think so. Like she, you know, you have to, there's no right or wrong in, in that mode. Like, should you have moved faster or slower? Um, you know, what's she going to go on and do next? The, I know that's not the question here, but think of someone like that. They're super innovative, right? Considered like, one of in cor- in corporate culture anyway, one of the most innovative women of all time, and led you know the boss the of most, all bosses, the boss of all bosses, like somehow led Zuckerberg, who was like a completely irresponsible you know, uh, I don't I don't want to misogynist yeah. basically like, and obviously they created software that turned America upside down with Trump in office and stuff. So, but they also created a tremendous amount of wealth for people and. Ultimately, like, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but even that person, you know, can get, you know, got into a funk for like half a decade or more. Right. And that and then how you come out of that. You mean like you can be on top of the world and still you're still a human. Yeah, you can have all the power and privilege and money and still not actually do anything with it. You know, you can just sit on it. Right. I I hope Alex, I hope this. Uh, our rant and our all over the place thing is helpful for because that's what I keep thinking when we have a listener question is like well there's a is, simple am way I to helpful it. I don't know the, no. the simple question though might be like anxiety about let's let's talk about because we're nerds and this is supposed to be a nerd podcast we should talk about Dolly and this like and GPT three and like all this AI generated stuff and yeah. Just like sincerely, just for a second, like nerd out on it. For, AI like, imagine it was, yeah. well, like imagine it was the Sony Walkman in nineteen eighties. We wouldn't be like, well, back in the eighteen hundreds, the <laughs> textile. So maybe for, for those who don't know, this is an AI where you can type words and it will generate photographic images that seem 
Well, an image in any style. So yeah. you could say like, you know, show me an image of panda, a panda playing poker in the style of Vincent Van Gogh, and it'll it'll do that. Yeah, like, and oh, it's okay. really quite impressive. You're like, oh, it really did what I asked. Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite. It's like. It's quite sophisticated, and but, it has. Yeah, a, it's not. It's, I wouldn't say it's. A, it has the role of an artist, but it has the role of an illustrator. It's like you imagine you're a, a newspaper executive, and you ask the illustrator, "We need an illustration of this within three minutes," and it seems like it's very good at that. Like, oh, you have a brief, and it finds the image you need. I think it's a really good point, though, because like um, this distinction between illustration and art comes up quite often. I'm sure our illustrator friends are like rolling their eyes. Well, I know that it's that's a touchy topic, but I mean illustration in the sense that you have an article and you need an image with it, and you're like, okay, here are the keywords. Yeah. Create an image quickly, and the reason I use the word illustration is not as a lesser form, but as a thing where you quickly want to create a visual with a piece of text. Mm -hmm. That I mean illustration in that sense that. An artist doesn't work on a deadline of newspaper print. Yeah, the way I think of illustration, though, is is it's a, it helps communicate a specific... It has a communication yeah. uh, objective, whereas art doesn't always have a communication objective. Yeah. And so illustration is like... It, it's more commercial, but, it, you know, de- definitely... Well, it that's helps. debatable, because <laughs> you go to Jeff Koons, like, what's more commercial than that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what's hilarious is illustrators often draw from like modernist tropes these days, like to explain the flat design, all kinds of stuff like zombie modernism and like, and I do it. I create the mood boards. Like we're all just creating mood boards, and ultimately, Dali is just like the world's largest mood board, and it's like I'll take those mood boards and then I'll like copy and paste all the bits and pieces together. But there's been different moments in, in AI history where we're like, whoa, we're out of a job. This is way more creative than any artist. And then people use it for a while and you start seeing like, oh yeah, that's that tool. I mean, and Alex mentioned this, which is like, it's used, architects went through this crisis and and then it just became like part of the creative um, ideation process they were like the ai became an assistant but then you get to the the extrapolation which is is very fear-based yeah i'm a big fan of dune uh, the novels not the the movie not so much but uh, there's an interview with herbert frank and and (laughs) dune the new one it's good no it's a piece of shit but uh, i like the david lynch movie i mean that's a canadian affront to canadians and we're going to quebec together Oh, yeah, I'm going to get killed for that. But my point (laughs) is that Herbert Frank wrote this uh, series of novels that were kind of a comment on energy supply on planet Earth. And it's about the Middle East and oil. And in the 70s, I saw interviews with him. It's like, well, we did the calculations. And around 1995, we're going to run out of fossil fuels. And there will be war. And that was the same premise as Mad Max and that kind of dystopian. There's Mm -hmm. just always this calculation, like... This is the current mode of operation, and if we keep going in this direction, yeah. history will end. We always draw a straight line for yeah. some reason, even though like there is no there's like yeah. if the Russian Ukraine like, crisis oh, yeah. taught us anything. There's no Automation is going to kill all the jobs. Uh, yeah. We're going to run out of energy. Uh, whatever calculation you do, there were calculations in the 19th century. I think of if we keep adding horses to Paris, it, there's going to be manure for three feet high throughout the whole city with this population growth. Blah, 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 all the extrapolations. And they, I just think if you look too far ahead, it's... Well, I think they always discount 
the what I talked about earlier, which is that humans are not logical, right? Like in the Kinnaman uh, folks who wrote that, did you ever read that book, Thinking Fast and Slow? It's like a behavioral economics book. No. no. Um, well, anyway, like the thesis is simple. is like for decades, like economies and economists and like policymakers made decisions based on this principle that, you know, people supply and demand drives human behavior in terms of like how they spend their money. Right. Like, and scarcity and all of these things that you even actually come up today, but you could like, basically the thesis was like, you can, you can draw the logic of how people will behave economically, like a, an equation. And then you can like, design the perfect algorithm to manage an economy. Yeah. yeah. Of course, like they like it didn't work. Like <laughs> it like and they're always like how come we're not we're just like not seeing the results we expect to see based on the algorithm, right? Like this has been the most studied thing. It's the most impo- think of something like there's nothing that more money was not spent on than understanding how to make more money, right? Like that's the <laughs> yeah, it's like thing. if you could ask the genie one wish, it's like yeah, infinite yeah. money. How yeah. would I make more money? So, <clears throat> and then like what they uncovered was actually people behave really quite irrationally quite often, like more often than not. And the reason, like, is it actually biological? And there's an area of the brain that that is responsible for making decisions, and it doesn't actually comprehend logic. Um, and it, like I said earlier, like. It's an, like the emotional center of the brain that makes decisions, yeah. and that's economic decisions yeah. too, which is why we see oh, yeah. the stock market like behave wildly, right? Yeah. Um, fear. Well, that's anxiety, what I was saying you know? with the recession. Everybody's like, "Hmm, things are a little bit too good. I think there's a recession coming." And then if everyone says that, then there it is. Yeah, there you go. And then so everything behaves emotionally, and then this, but this fed and then by the way, they rationalize logically. But then this makes us all believe that like. Oh, then, like we should trust in the machines because we are, you know, we're the we're the um, we're the problem. Like all, you know, Elon Musk's statement, which is like all 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 uh, error in a car is like human error. Like, it, input is the problem with cars. Mm-hmm. That's why they, we shouldn't have steering wheels in cars because it's not cars that have accidents; it's people that yeah. act irrationally. How do you feel about that? Well, like it, in As a this Tesla context, owner and Elon Musk supporter. Well, well, that's like a, I mean, maybe it is logical to go from point A to point B, but like, I might like to take a side road. I might like to, you know, oh, I see something out of the corner of my eye and I want to pull over and I don't want, you know, the system to be in control anymore. Right. And I think so as an analogy for the conversation that we're having, emotion and where it takes you, whether it's good or bad, it is all there is really all there is. And later you can come back and try and rationalize it. Like to your point, like at the beginning of the pandemic, we were like, Oh fuck. And then w- you and I had like several conversations on the podcast. And I think also off air, we were like, what are we going to do? Let's try this. Let- I think we should, you should do it. Yeah. We should do it. Like you were encouraging me as encouraging you. And then you were getting all this community encouragement too. Right. Yeah. And suddenly you're like, Hey, this isn't that bad. This is actually better. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, and, like, and, and no, no, um, disregard of people suffering and and all the hardship for so many people but i think what we're talking about is questions of listeners and it's always about your own situation and what you can do within your 10 miles around you and 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 like your 10 months around you like your time space environment and in every there's the example of um, matisse at the end of his life he was so sick that I think he had a muscle disease 
and he couldn't paint anymore, so he started using scissors instead of a brush. So he'd have an assistant uh, paint paper in certain colors, and he developed this very unique visual vocabulary out of being sick. So I think there's always something like that. That's really mm-hmm. you're reminding me of like when Cindy Sherman got sick and was in hospital. She started just using her phone to yeah make, exactly like on Instagram. There's just always something like it. it, it we we sometimes we record an episode that I regret. And uh, a few weeks ago we recorded one, and I talked about privilege, and it became a bit too personal, so we didn't publish it. Anyway, I heard from different people they assumed that I was a rich kid because how else can you make net art? You're gonna ruin this podcast. Yeah, now. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'll, I'll just briefly summarize. Like, I I was fortunate to grow up in the Netherlands, but I didn't come from a rich family that I would never have to work. So sometimes I talk very cheerfully about like. Oh, just do your thing and everything yeah, will work yeah, yeah. out. It's not because like, oh, Marty Millionaire, it's easy for you to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just want to say, f- for the sake of this discussion, I do not come from an independently wealthy background. But it, I don't think I don't give a shit whether you do or not. Like, no, no, no. Honestly. It's important to know because people are like, oh, yeah, you have infinite money, so it's easy for you to say, just do your thing. Hmm. All I'm saying is, in any situation, in any si- if you look at the macro situation, you just panic. You're like, if you look at the world. You look at everything, you're like, everything's doom and gloom, everything's going to die, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at your own situation, and you're like, well, if I stop watching Netflix, I have about four hours a day left. What can I do with those four hours? It's, it's just like these very simple, straightforward things. Yeah, you know, things. It, like on that front, though, it is very hard after a long day of work to get, you know, to get back into it. And we should do a whole podcast on, yeah, yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. No, but no, what, but here's an example. Yeah. I have a friend who was working in advertising and a very responsible person. Maybe it's similar to you, just like two years of saving, right? And he's like, oh, I wish I could make movies. Uh, and I was like, how much savings do you have? How much runway? He's like, well, about two years. It's like, well, just quit your job and make short films for two years. And if it doesn't work out, you get another job. You'll find another job. Your CV is great. He's like, yeah. And we were talking about like, I'm kind of a pessimist for the world at large, but my own direct opportunity, I just look at it very matter of fact. And so it just always seems so straightforward to me. But I was talking to a friend, Mm. it's like, for artists, it's very straightforward. It's like, you don't expect any money and you just do your thing. You have some savings. But for most people, it's like... But that's a key word there, actually. Because if he goes out and makes that movie and he tries to modify it to like earn the income that he's earning now, it's probably not going to work out. No, well. no. So you, I mean, I don't, I don't want to predict for him, no. but like, uh, like that's, when, but that's the that, same for you. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you, you had your day job and now you have another day job and you, it was refreshing to change. But and I, yeah, I have multiple jobs and businesses. Now, yeah. But like I didn't, I don't, I had, I, I stopped thinking about whether it's the right thing to have one or two or three or four. Yeah. Personally, I'm at peace with the idea that like, I've got a unique setup and it works for me. And, you know, I think everyone's got to find their own, like, I wouldn't be happy without business. That took me a long time to kind of appreciate. Well, I I, I guess part of uh, maturing is figuring out what you really want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm not too afraid of the... Skynet, to be honest with you. Like, if we come back to that original Yeah, that, that, that fear that we become like a pet for the AI overlord. And- I'm very excited about it. I mean, Her is like one of my favorite movies, 
yeah of all time and the idea of like a, a benevolent companion. ai yeah <laughs> like that's the way i like to think of it like someone in my ear but we're still like, extrapolating like we're, we're like oh uh siri is better than 10 years ago so in 20 years it's going to be even better maybe who knows like Wouldn't it, it has lovely though like what if we were ais that were in our listeners ears and, and they're like hey what should i do in this situation yeah, like, yeah yeah i don't know you should just like try something <laughs> yeah why do you, yeah let's let's put a little put a little brushstroke there that's great i think that would be awesome <laughs> you're doing good you're great yeah <laughs> keep going i like yeah. it that's great Ooh, sassy oh those jeans look good on you yeah <laughs> there needs to be more encouragement ai like ai that's like you go yes you yeah yes. well we all know positive news and nobody cares about it so well i have this like apple watch that's like you, you congratulations you you stood up and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like come on is that the best we can do with technology like you know standing up <laughs> uh, the hamster in the wheel no you know it's funny like because i've worked I, I i i've only been working like at a company with sophisticated quote-unquote ai people for like a year but already i realize how bad like how far back we st- like how like it's we're still how the primitive very, very, it still very, is it's so primitive yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. no uh, and 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 the assumption that you can just extrapolate it's there's no guarantee that progress goes in one direction and that like book printing was really hard in the beginning and maybe you know the first 200 years it improved a lot at some point book printing didn't change like nothing changed you could you could print a little faster but overall mm-hmm. a book is a book so the idea that like oh ai will just become self-aware yeah. and start improving itself and just surpass any human. i mean the best thing that can happen is it would actually become invisible you know like we wouldn't notice it yeah i'm just i'm just really bored of extrapolating i just think it's yeah. it, to me it's this as ridiculous as religion like this idea like oh no god is greater than anything you can imagine and we start approaching ai the same way well instead of extrapolation we should consider embellishment like you know like for example like you said books right they eventually hit they hit a zenith i i would argue like other things include like the hit zenith for like doors and light switches iphone cases (laughs) like there's there's all kinds of categories that hit like bicycles and then what people do after that is what it's really exciting which is they start to like personalize it right yeah or, you know. or think of the best trip you can do on a bicycle instead of thinking of the best bicycle that's yeah. what i mean that there's personalization of experience uh but also aesthetic experiences right like well that's a good it. point like if if the ai can generate any image in any style you want then all of a sudden it's like well what do you want to see mm-hmm. yeah like what's the world you would you you might imagine with that yeah. ai but then no you could use ai to just create an infinite amount of social media accounts and through A-B testing, it would just figure out what the average human likes. Well, the thing is, like, that, that, yeah, that's actually probably the really good point, which is, like, we've been in an AI forever. It's called society, and it normalizes... <laughs> George Costanza. It, <laughs> in a society. But it, generally speaking, I've, I talk about this in my artist talk, like, we... You know, I talk about performance for the camera, which is like performing for technology and that history. But prior to any cameras, we performed for cameras called two eyes on the other side of the room, right? Like whoever was watching us as we did our grocery shopping, like so the social fabric 
you know, there's Gesellschaft and Gemeinschaft yeah. for our German listeners, like keeps the order, you know, that we like all obey, right? So like in terms of resistance, I think that's where your punk music thing always comes well, yeah. up again, which is like yeah. we've been inside an AI for that's far scarier than anything we could invent for the last like you know, a million years. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I always think of the stock market as the most evil AI, which completely disregards any common good and just like, what is oh, the number? Yeah. 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 So, but, but to me, the, the core problem with the, all these questions of the anxiety is like, do we go towards idiosyncrasy or consensus? And I think everyone seeks success. And in the end, success is very close to consensus. So it's like, if MoMA oh, approves me... you did me, the right thing. Good job. You if, did the right thing. If MoMA accepts me, I'm a mm-hmm. real artist, and if they don't, I'm not a real artist. And MoMA, you know the one I MoMA like is a consensus it, between a number yeah, but, of people, but they're just a number of yeah. people, you know? Well, and anyway, that's very unlikely, but one scenario that I'm... Like the MoMA scenario for most people, the one scenario that a lot of people are in, I've been in several times over the last few years, is like, you really dodged a bullet by not making that decision by like avoiding that, that path. And every time that someone says that to me, I kind of cringe. So it's, it's come up where I almost joined a company and then I chose not to at the last minute because I had a bad feeling. But like when people tell me that you, I really dodged a bullet, they're basically saying that I have no control over the outcomes that might occur at that company. Should I get hired? But the very premise <laughs> like of you me being hired that I don't like it. Well, not only that I could leave, that I could make it better. Like, aren't they hiring me to make the company better? Like, at my level especially? Like, and so I haven't dodged any bullets. It's my fucking job (laughs) to, to, like, take the bullets and, like, catch them in midair like Neo and throw them aside and make things better. So, I don't know. I'm always like, ugh. Like, did I dodge a bullet or did I, like avoid saving a child basically <laughs> like um anyway that's but, kind of but maybe putting me maybe in this role is a sort of, but everyone's in that role i, I want to answer this meta question because a lot of the questions that come up on the podcast uh, with all due respect a lot of them are like how do i become successful that they, they, they boil down to that hmm. and what is success we always talk about yeah too. and one of the questions i have for you is you've done a lot of coaching and do you feel like you've been able to change people's minds or people are just it's the gordon ramsay tv show thing like you try to help someone they're like oh this is uh, no how I've I, done I would it. never take any credit but what i have found is through like people really want someone to talk to and think out loud with and i often will just ask questions and then they're like wow thank you for your advice and i was like uh, i didn't give any advice i just asked you like 10 questions and then we had a conversation generally about how I don't know anything, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, um, you know, sometimes the best advice is just to share, like there's this, this saying I always share with my teens, which is like, if you have a problem, it's your problem. If you share the problem, it's our problem. And like the way you solve problems is actually not alone. It's with other people, yeah. right? So, Because, for example, when you talk about advice, I've begged you many times to quit your day job and just do the full-time thing. But it's just not what you want. You still want to be in a company structure and work with people. And I want to be a part of the like a, the world that I'm interested in. And like, yeah. I'm working on an artwork right now that's informed by like my lived experience in in, in corporate life. And it it won't read that way to to my audience. But like, but it's such a huge part of like my creative my creative energy. It, like at this point, 
if I left it, I'd be like without my research practice. Like I wouldn't have access to my inspiration. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so that, whether it was the right choice or not, like 20 years ago, you know, I grew up in a business family. Like it's, it's hard for, like you said, at the very, very beginning of the podcast, like I have to be honest about who I am. Like, and my mom the other day was like, Jeremy, it's always been about the money with you. And I was like, <laughs> always been about the money. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I do all these nonprofit things. I'm charitable. But at the end of the day, I do remember being like six years old and reading this, like the business section, not love the statistics. articles. Yeah. I would read like the price of oil. <laughs> And I'd be like, Mom, price of oil is up like $5 today. And for whatever reason, I found that really fun and exciting. And, and, and that's always the funny thing, I guess we're similar, that you like the feeling of safety, of, of, of having money, but at the same time, you spend zero. So uh, that's when you're talking about irrational decisions. That's right. If you look at your economic history where you never spend anything, it's like there is no reason for you to think about money because you don't even care about stuff. Yeah, I'd rather give it away most of the time, too. Yeah. Um, so I feel really good when I'm, like, paying other people. And a lot of people in business talk about that. Like, the, and, big, yeah. the big shift for them is when they have a, their first salaried employee, right? But that that is a very good point that money is... is um, it's all numbers, so it all seems logical, and there's no logic whatsoever. People are like, yeah, I should buy a house. It's a good investment. And then, like, did you run the numbers? No, but I heard it's a good investment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there you go. I mean, you don't want to buy a house. I want to buy a second house. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is, I think this is a good question. Thank you for asking it, Alex. We're not calling Alex a whiner, yeah. are we? Because Alex's not a Luddite. No, I think no, no, Alex no, no, is actually no. embracing but these technologies. The reason I'm talking about it, about these questions, is that I think about it a lot because, of course, you want to help people, and uh, if people are on the cusp of finding their thing, and maybe you can help one percent, of course I'd be happy to help. But at the same time, you're thinking, what can you say that changes people? Or I mean, the only thing I always think is like one of the best jobs I ever had was working as a camp counselor, and every morning we would wake up without a plan, and we had a hundred kids that were like, "What the fuck are we going to do today?" Like, what? Like, and they they had more energy than sense. <laughs> And we had to figure out this in tornado 30, of energy like, from like six thirty a.m. to seven a.m. what we were going to do each day. We never, for whatever reason, we didn't. We weren't good at planning, and somehow every day was better than the last, mm. right? And I like to think of life that way because, like, ultimately throughout the day, everyone was pitching in and plugging holes to make it a great day, right? Like, yeah. And so collaboratively, we're always in that position in our communities with our friends, with our colleagues, with the people we make artworks with. We're there to like bring something to the table, to plug a hole. Like you see something that could be better, you go and you you fill that hole. That's what that's really like why I get excited even in dark times because it's like oh my god, like what I'm yeah. in the business of solving problems. Like what new problems are gonna come up? I just um, yeah, I, I just have this weird feeling that someone made this joke at the beginning of the pandemic. Maybe it's inappropriate, but the, the, they said when it's a crisis. Some people cry and some people sell tissues. <laughs> and I mean, it does sound a little bit like rich for sure. Like, uh, yeah, but there's a truth to it that like any situation you could put one person in and they're like, oh, this is the end of the world. And the other person is like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I think that's but that's why community is necessary, because like I said, everyone's going to be at a different phase in the change curve and our jobs to help people get through it. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I wish I, 
if I had any advice for people, it's like, don't believe the news. Like things are not as bad as we're being told. Yeah, but they could be really bad too, and that's okay. Like, yeah, but it, it, it's that same uh, thing. The world is too complex to comprehend as a whole, and so. I think Bruce Lee had this quote of like, your focus determines your reality. And like, there are horrible things happening and there are wonderful things happening. And what's your reality? I, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it, it it's very difficult. You could you could argue like, oh, you grew up in the right time, in the right place. And all you, it was just like opportunity everywhere. Um, but I don't know. Like most people that these questions are coming from, I assume they have opportunity and there are chances and there, yeah. Yeah, they're exploring ideas though. Yeah. That's a good, this was a fun exploration. Um, yeah. I, by the way, Dolly is not available to the public, which I find to be the most insulting part of this whole um, equation. Maybe they're worried that once everyone uses it, it's going to be quite repetitive. Yeah, but it's like, they're like, been, have been giving it out to like, celebrities like Marquise Brownlee and stuff like yeah, that. And you're yeah. like, how come he gets to use it? Because he has a lot of followers. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But that's like, so it's just like, it's by a company called OpenAI. Um, it's one of Elon Musk's Well, companies. isn't that happens very often with software. You, you leak it to influencers and like beta test it. And a year later, everyone can use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, foundation, the NFT website. Well, usually the reason that these things have to be in beta too is because they're like the processing, like scaling the number of people using it. If it's a cloud, if it's cloud-based software, it's not that that simple, right? No, exactly. One person can use it, but a million people is. There could also be issues where it starts doing unexpected things that are offensive, and then you have to shut the whole project down. Oh yeah, that's my favorite um, case study that Microsoft uh, has. Yeah, exactly. Bot that became racist. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for the question, and we have a couple more in the hopper, which is great. Yeah, uh, we also have some field recordings too. I don't know if we want to bring any of those up. But, uh, yeah, uh, we we have this field recording from Linda Lowe from Australia. Ooh, birds at sunset. Yeah, so it's a cacophony. Thank I love you, that word. Thank cacophony. you, Lindy, Linda, for the question, and uh, thank everybody. Send in any question, and we'll morph it into something that works in the. Uh, let's, works for our mood. <laughs> let's let's lower the fear and uh, increase the fun. Ooh, that's a t-shirt. Yeah, we need new swag. Okay, thanks everyone. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye bye.